Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Thanks for joining us on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice here on Cannabis Radio. This is Bethany Moore, NCIA's Communications and Projects Manager, and today we have a couple of guests. I'm happy to introduce Shailene Title. She's a former staffer for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, or LEAP, and a High Times Freedom Fighter. And her current company, THC Staffing Group, is a member of NCIA. Our second guest is Chris Crane. He's a former normal staffer and is the previous executive director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, SSDP. Hello, Chris, and hello, Shalene. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us on, Bethany. Thanks, Bethany. So what I really wanted to talk about with you both today is everything Massachusetts. As we're coming (coughs) out What I wanted to talk with you both today is about everything Massachusetts. We're coming out of this election cycle, and we saw many victories for both medical and adult use states. And Massachusetts was one of those. The Regulate and Tax Marijuana Act has passed in Massachusetts. Congratulations. And both of you are based in Massachusetts these days. Is that right? That's correct, yes. In the Boston area. Boston, great, great. Um, So let me start with Shalene. Uh, You were on the drafting committee uh, for this campaign in Massachusetts. And can you tell me a bit more what that was like? Yeah. um, So I had worked on the um, Amendment 64 campaign in Denver in 2012, but I hadn't been involved in the drafting process. So this was a very um, fun experience. There was a group of um, local activists and business owners and policy experts that worked together um, to draft the language with MPP. And, um, you know, I think the best thing about it is that we had data from Colorado and Washington now that we didn't have before and a lot of lessons that have been learned. So. Um, we were able to work together and try and uh, come up with the best initiative that we could. Fantastic. And Chris, uh, what were your experiences like being involved in that campaign drafting process? You know, I thought it was a really uh, uh, inspiring process. Uh, you know, you had a number of uh, long-term activists, uh, local activists in here in Massachusetts, as well as um, national activists from the Marijuana Policy Project. Um, in addition to some of the the emerging leaders in the the new industry here in in Massachusetts, and so it was a really good sort of confluence of 
stakeholders uh, with different sets of interests, and um, it, you know, it, it really it, it was a, it was a surprisingly smooth process. You, you didn't have a ton of disagreement uh, mm-hmm. amongst the uh, amongst the stakeholders, and, and in the end, I think we were able to come up with um, what I believe is a, is good model legislation. That's great. It sounds like you were able to look at the the regulations from other states like Colorado, you had mentioned, Shaleen. So you were able to see what worked and what didn't and kind of skip over some of the stumbling process. So that sounds like a good way to go. And it's also nice to see Massachusetts being a northeast state uh, moving in this direction as we're looking at the map of adult use and medical marijuana states. They tend to be toward the West Coast, so it, it's nice to see it spreading toward the East, uh, towards all those little New England, tinier states. So let's move into the structure of this initiative. There, There's an advisory board and some taxation issues to, to talk about. Uh, Chris, can you tell me more about that? Uh, so yeah, so the way that this is going to be set up is um, it, it's meant to mirror the way that alcohol is regulated in Massachusetts. Um, so it's going to create a new uh, what's called the Cannabis Control Commission, um, which will be a, a, a department within the uh, Treasury Department here, uh, which is how alcohol is handled. Um, where you've got uh, you've got the the ABC, the Alcohol and Beverage Commission. Um, that oversees alcohol. And so there'll be three basically bureaucrats who will be appointed to that CCC. Um, and that body is going to be tasked with drafting the rules that govern the new, the new program, the new market. There's also going to be the creation of an advisory committee, which is a broader committee, which is supposed to be made up of uh, stakeholders, folks from the industry, advocates, law enforcement, um, uh, and 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 some, you know some bureaucrat types who are going to be there to help advise the CCC as they as they craft their policy um, on the taxation issue. Uh, there currently it, it currently allows for what's essentially a twelve percent tax on marijuana sales. Um, that includes the current uh, I think it's six and a half percent sales tax uh, plus a three and a half percent excise tax plus a two percent local tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and there has been some discussion that the legislature. Uh, when they come back in January, uh, may want to make some changes to the initiative. Um, and if they do, one of the things that they've been strongly indicating that they that they would like to change would be to raise that tax rate. Um, so it is possible that that's going to go up in the new year, although we're hopeful that the legislature will uh, respect the full will of the voters and let this thing go into effect as it's currently written, make mm-hmm. changes down the road once they're able to evaluate it rather than doing it up front. But there is a, there is a decent possibility that that tax rate does does go up in the new year. Sure, sure. So speaking of cost, um, access to the industry, when we've looked at some other states, the cost of entry for applications and licenses, they can be quite high. Uh, But in Massachusetts, it looks like the opportunity is open to more middle class folks interested in getting involved in the industry. Uh, Shalene, I know there's a $3,000 application fee in Massachusetts. And licenses are running ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Do you think this is set up in in a good way so that it doesn't just allow the rich investors into the industry, but allows more everyday people who want access to be able to participate? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, that was a top priority for us in Massachusetts especially because our medical program, which was passed in 2012, is largely seen as inaccessible, 
um, very expensive. There was a thirty thousand um, dollar non-refundable fee, and um, certainly that's tough for people who um, you know want to open their own business, but they may not have um, friends or family who are able to um, put in big investments, and you know of course they don't have traditional. Um, banking uh, options to find capital, so mm-hmm. um, it was important to us to to change that for this for this legislation. So um, the initial application fee will be three thousand dollars, and then um, for uh, a retail marijuana store or manufacturer or cultivator, the license fee is only fifteen thousand dollars. And we're hoping that will um, help people who are trying to, you know, chase their life's dream to be able to do so. Um, in a way that's affordable. I agree. I think that's great. And and just thinking about other states and, and the high barrier to entry, it just uh, seems to challenge the the nature of the plant and, and the medicine that it provides and the openness for everybody. So um, well done, both of you, in creating legislation that that works for, for the everyday people. So we're going to take a quick break here in a moment, uh, but we will be right back to talk more with Chris Crane and Shailene Title about what's happening in Massachusetts for the cannabis industry. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sansal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles, Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. It is through innovative processes that Sansal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants... Healthy people. SansalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the Seed to Sale Show, January 31st and February 1st at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver. Register now at www.seedtosaleshow.com or 888-409-4418. The NCIA Seed to Sale Show. The largest cannabis business event to be held in Denver will host over 2,000 cannabis professionals and focus on innovations and technology in cultivation, infused products and extraction, and sales strategies. The show will recognize the best in the industry with the Cannovation and Canatech Awards. Register before January 6th for $100 savings at seedtosaleshow.com. Use the code RADIO15 for an additional 15% off. Plan your experience now for the NCIA Seed to Sale Show, January 31st and February 1st. SeedToSaleShow.com or 888-409-4418. Cannabis legalization efforts are increasing competition for businesses wanting to make it big. In this complex and fast-changing environment, only the savviest will survive. What are you going to do to stay ahead of the game? Enter New Frontier's free platform, Equio, the premier business intelligence, visualization, and marketing platform for the cannabis industry. With Equio, you can stay on top of your store sales, trends, and competition, better understand your seasonality and broader sales trends, 
identify and compare your top products and categories, and cross-buying opportunities. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. That's EQUIO.io to sign up now. The power of real-time big data is now in your hands. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. If you're just tuning in, this is Bethany Moore with National Cannabis Industry Association. And today I have Shalene Title and Chris Crane as my guests today talking about Massachusetts and the cannabis industry. So, Chris, what is next and what changes are coming now that it has passed? There's still a lot of work to be done. What's coming up next? Uh, well, <laughs> that's, that's actually uh, somewhat of an open question. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the legislature has indicated that they might be interested in making some changes to the initiative. Um, they may look to push the timeline for implementation back. Uh, they may look to do things like raise taxes or change some of the provisions around uh, local control or local uh, ability to opt out of the program. Um, and so we, we don't know exactly what's coming in terms of changes. We do know that the legislature uh, is likely to at least discuss and consider this uh, when they come back in, in January. So those that were involved in the campaign and drafting process, like yourselves, Will you be continuing to have contact with those groups and providing recommendations and, and having a seat at the table while this happens? Uh, the, the, the hope is, is yes, that we will. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because this moves from a process, the process that was controlled entirely by the, the, the initiative proponents um, where we, you know, we really had control over the messaging, over the language, um, to, you know, now it goes into the hands of the state. And so the legislature, uh, has control over this, uh, the treasury department's going to have control over this. Um, but thankfully, you know, folks on, on, on both ends of that have reached out to the stakeholders, have reached out to the, uh, people who are involved in the campaign and have asked us to be involved uh, in this process, uh, there's talk that there's going to be working groups created, um, which will include representatives from the campaign and from the industry. Um, so we likely will have some sort of seat at the table to help guide this process. And of course, when the legislature or the um, Treasury Department decides to you know, try or if they just decide to try and make changes that we think violate the spirit of the initiative, uh, then we're going to be here to to push back and, and fight against that. So as we go on, I, I did want to take a moment to talk a little bit more about both Chris and Shalene, your, your backgrounds. I mentioned at the start of the show a little bit about both of you, but Chris, uh, can you share a little bit more about your background? I know you were a previous executive director for Students for Sensible Drug, Drug Policy and how why, why you are part of the marijuana movement and industry. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I, I've been involved in this uh, from uh, well for as, as long as I can recall, basically my entire adult life. Um, hmm. So I, I got involved as a as a student um, 
back at American University. Um, I was involved with the what was originally the American University Normal Chapter, which eventually became uh, one of the inaugural Students for Sensible Drug Policy chapters. Um, uh, from there, went to work at Normal uh, in Washington, D.C. for about six years. Um, mm-hmm. Went back to Students for Sensible Drug Policy um, as the uh, executive director um, and, and did that for about four years. Um, and uh, it was it was at the end of 2009, as I was leaving SSDP, that I decided to make the move to what was then a very small and emerging uh, cannabis industry, medical cannabis industry. Um, and, and I did so uh, because I saw the industry as a, a natural extension of the work that we've been doing as a policy movement. I had seen the impact that, you know, at that time, uh, you know, some of the better run dispensaries, which by then were, were almost all in the Bay Area of California. Colorado was still really in its infancy then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was looking at places like Harborside Health Center and Berkeley Patients Group, um, you know, Peace and Medicine and some of these early pioneer dispensaries and recognizing that by demonstrating to people that that cannabis can be distributed in a way that is uh, socially responsible and highly professional, um, that it has a profound impact on changing uh, public perception and changing public opinion uh, as much as the work that we've been doing as policy advocates in the, in the nonprofit world. And mm-hmm. so the idea of, of being able to get involved in that and the ground floor uh, to help shape what the industry was going to look like um, and thereby helping to, to advance the same policy goals that I'd been working on my entire career at that point in the nonprofit world, I found to be really, really exciting and really appealing. Um, and, uh, you know, and to be able to, 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 to do so in a, in a for-profit environment, I thought was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, it certainly the, the possibility was there to potentially make a little bit more money than, than I had as a nonprofit activist, but, um, mm-hmm. that was never really my primary motivation. It was, it was this whole idea that we could use, uh, a private enterprise and, and, and these businesses, um, to advance our goals in a way that we could never really do just as nonprofit activists. Certainly. Well, there's something to be said about being a business owner when you are speaking to members of Congress versus an activist and advocate. And there's certainly a balance for both, but you've actually had the experience of being on both sides now. That's that's right. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's been fun being on both. And, and I will say, I mean, being being in the industry now, um, I really try and I try and keep myself grounded by keeping a foot solidly in the advocacy world. So I, you know, I do serve on the board of NCIA, very proud to be a board member, um, also on the board of the Marijuana Majority and the Board of Trustees of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Um, so I, I try and, you know, spend my free time uh, outside of my, my, my business, um, uh, continuing to advance those goals and, and, and support the, the advocacy organizations, you know, without whom none of these business opportunities would exist today. Certainly. And I think anybody entering the cannabis industry if they do not have any background or experience being an advocate, um, as folks like you and I have, uh, now is the time. So if, if, you're, if you're getting into the industry, get to know these advocacy groups that have been doing the groundwork. Um, so I also want to ask you, Shalene, to tell me a little bit about your background and why you are in the cannabis industry. So I came to the industry through Students for Sensible Drug Policy as well. I always joke that if it wasn't for SSDP, I'd probably be in a cubicle at an accountant, uh, accounting firm somewhere, mm-hmm. miserable. <laughs> um, but I uh, found very early on that I had a passion for this type of activism 
And so um, after law school, I worked for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition for um, about three years, helping to um, get law enforcement, you know, out there telling their stories and making policy changes. Mm -hmm. And then um, I've done regulatory compliance work for um, Vicente Cedarberg and now for Forefront Advisors. Um, but my, my primary passion since the beginning has been um, diversity and inclusion in both the movement and industry so that we can um, have a variety of perspectives represented. And especially when we're talking about the war on drugs, that we're not just talking in a theoretical academic way, but that the people who have actually been hurt by the war on drugs are out there um, having their voice heard, having a seat at the table of policymaking, and then also... Um, having a economic empowerment through the industry. So um, focusing on that uh, through my advocacy, um, which I still do a lot of, I also um, was inspired by my mentors who have started businesses to try and make a change in the world. So that's why I started THC Staffing Group. We're a recruiting firm and we're primarily focused on inclusion. So when we see companies that are really interested in hiring um, a more diverse group of people, but it's hard for them because they don't have the network, they don't have the time, they don't have the um, skills necessarily to, to broaden their candidate pool. Um, that's the sort of thing that we help them with in their hiring. That's fantastic, Shalene. And we're about to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd really like to go into uh, those important social justice measures. I'd like to go into those important social justice measures that were included in the language of that initiative in Massachusetts. So we will be, <coughs> so we will take a quick break and hear some commercials and don't go away. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. <sighs> Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Oh, lady marijuana llama, tell you something now About a game for your phone, gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little, your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Everyone deserves the medicine they need. Aaron's premium CBD essentials and CBD nectar products are made from plant-based organic ingredients, grown and processed in the United States. Our unique formula of coconut oil and coconut water, infused with CBD oil, is ideal for all skin types and provides maximum relief. Aaron's Essentials was formulated by 9-11 first responder and stage 4 cancer survivor Aaron Sieber. 
As a cannabis connoisseur, Aaron began making and using his own lab-tested medicinal cannabis products to help relieve the side effects of his rigorous cancer treatments. Visit www.cannosaurbrands.com for more information on Aaron's essentials and learn how you can pay it forward. That's C-A-N-N-A-I-S-S-E-U-R brands.com. How high do you like your profit margin? Cannabisradio.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. And welcome back to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice here on Cannabis Radio. This is Bethany Moore from NCIA, and today I'm joined by Chris Crane and Shalene Title as we're chatting more about Massachusetts and the marijuana industry in that state. Welcome back, guys, and thank you both again for being here today. Shalene, before we took a break, I I know that social justice and diversity are very important to you. And I want to talk a little bit more about what work you've been doing to ensure that important social justice measures were included in the drafting of the Regulation and Taxation of Marijuana Act. Please tell us a bit more about that. So I mentioned earlier that we were looking at other states and our own state in seeing um, what could be improved um, this time around in the drafting. And what we saw a lot of is that um, there weren't a lot of uh, people of color and specifically people from the communities that have been hurt by the war on drugs in the industry. So um, Chris and I and um, Chanel from Ardent Cannabis, um, Adam from Vicente Cedarburg, a bunch of us on the uh, drafting committee brainstormed about how we could address this. And ultimately, um, the solution that we thought was to put in a new provision that hasn't been done in any other state before that requires the regulating agency to adopt procedures and policies that would encourage participation in the industry by people from these communities and to positively impact them. So um, in the language of question four itself, um, it doesn't go into what that might look like. Um, but there's a lot of lobbying currently being done. Um, the city of Boston uh, c- city council members just held a racial equity hearing to hear um, what recommendations might look like to implement these provisions. So that report is out and it has things like um, free education, skills-based job training, placement programs, um, even uh, training for police, because that certainly um, affects these issues. And so, yeah, so I think that we'll have a a really great program here um, that other states can can learn and improve upon. Oh, I can't wait to hear more about how that comes together. Um, I also noticed there is a provision in here to not exclude people with prior marijuana offenses. And I think considering people of color are disproportionately um, affected by cannabis drug laws, this is a really great thing to include as well that would allow 
people to enter the cannabis industry and participate in it, even though they may have gotten busted a few years ago for cannabis. And I know that that's still a provision in other states that you can't participate and get your badge, as it were, um, if you have a marijuana offense. So to not exclude people with those marijuana offenses seems like a really good way to build on that momentum as well. Do you want to add anything about that, Shaleen? Just that as a recruiter, it seems like common sense to me, you know, just putting aside all the social justice issues. If somebody has been working on the exact thing that you're now, you know, trying to hire people to do, why would you exclude them? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Sure, absolutely. So as we wrap up the show here, we have just a couple more minutes. Um, Chris, you attended NCIA's lobby days recently. Uh, So I just want to see if you have anything to share about the importance of going back to kind of that advocacy and business uh, combination. Your experiences at NCIA Lobby Days wearing both hats and what that was like for you. Sure. I mean, I, I think it's. I, I think the the lobby days that NCIA puts on are one of the more important events uh, of the year. Um, it's critically important that uh, members of Congress hear from the the, the cannabis business community. The you know so many of these members of Congress from around the country don't really have an understanding of what challenges we're facing as business people. They don't really understand what the cannabis industry is. And so I think for a lot of folks, particularly members of Congress who aren't in states where um, there is a robust medical cannabis or cannabis market, um, they may have stereotypes of what cannabis business owners uh, are, or what they're like, what these business, how these businesses are operated, and it, it really goes a long way to, you know, to towards educating them and breaking down those those barriers and those stereotypes by just having these business owners um, interact with members of Congress and with their staff, um, and to to show them that we are you know we are responsible business people. That we, you know, we simply want to be treated like any other business people. Uh, that we're not, you know, we're not members of organized crime, or uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't adhere to the stereotypes that they may have of, you know, marijuana growers or marijuana business people. Um, and uh, and and I think it, you know, it, it helps us be taken extremely seriously as an industry. Um, I've been really impressed with how well received uh, I, I've been when I attend these these meetings at lobby days, um, as well as as my colleagues. Um, and I think given, you know, given the incoming administration and the question marks about um, how this industry is going to be treated over the next four years, um, it's critically important that we establish these relationships with decision makers, with members of Congress in particular, who will, who will serve as a, a, a check on the power of the administration should the administration decide that they want to get more aggressive in, in targeting this industry. So uh, while it's always been critically important for um, the, the businesses to engage in, in, in advocacy and, du- and engage in direct conversations with, uh, w- with elected officials, uh, it's, it's never been more important than it is right now. And so I, I certainly hope that the listeners out there uh, will consider coming to Lobby Day this year, meeting with their members of Congress and participating because um, we certainly need all the help that we can get. Awesome. Well, Our seventh annual NCIA Cannabis Industry Lobby Days is coming up again in May, May 16th and 17th, and we hope to see even more NCIA members and cannabis business owners join us in Washington, D.C. for two days 
of face-to-face meetings with our nation's decision makers. It is time to wrap up now, but Shalene, thank you again for joining us today. It was really great to have you on the show. Great to be here. And Chris, also thank you as well for joining us. And I appreciate both of you taking the time to share what's happening in Massachusetts with our listeners. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us. For more information about NCIA, please visit www.thecannabisindustry.org. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.